Let's just pray before we read God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your dealings with people through history. Father, we know that what we're about to read is not only your Word and it's inspired, but Father, it's also a historical event. Father, an event which happened in history, and Father, something that we can learn from as well. And so, Father, we pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds as we read your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is a story about the most basic of provisions, water in a desert place. The title's up on the screen. And it's a story of a group of people the Israelites, led by a man called Moses, traveling from place to place with the hope of a promised land. Who knows that you need to live with hope? If we lose hope, then what are we aiming for? These people were wandering through the desert, but they had a hope. They had all their ups and downs. I'm sure you've read about it, and we're going to read about one of those uh, down times today. But they were traveling with the hope of a promised land. They had to uh, sorry, I think I've made a mistake in my notes. <laughs> um, they had to follow God and, and trust Him to lead them. And they had to also trust God to, at times, miraculously provide water for them. And that's one of the things that we're going to look at today. Um, so, this is a little map coming up on the screen of the places where they went. Um, they traveled throughout the desert. And one of the places they came to was a place called Mara. And Mara means bitter. It was a place where they stopped and the water that they tasted was bitter water. Um, but we read in the story that God sweetened the water for them. Um, again, just incredible, uh, miraculous. And then they stop at another place uh, called Elam. And it was a place of springs. It was an oasis, a place where they'd probably want to stop and rest and, and just say, okay, we're here, we've, we've reached the promised land. Well, they hadn't, but it was a place of rest and refreshing. But then finally, they came to this place called Rephidim, and that's what we're going to think about today. And it's down there on the Sinai Peninsula. And you could go and you could visit these places today. You could go and visit where this story actually happened. And so let's read uh, the first of two accounts about water. And what I'm going to do today is rather than read it all the way through, I'm going to read a little bit and just comment on it. And then we'll come on to another section in Numbers, uh, chapter 20, and then hopefully draw some conclusions uh, from what we're reading today. So that's how we're going to approach today, just a little bit different. And the boys and girls have got activity sheets that are about water from a rock, and I hope they have fun uh, with them as well. So let's read Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 to 7. It says that the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, which is short for Sinai, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. We've already mentioned two. If you read Numbers chapter 33, verses 12 and 14, you'll see that there's another two places which they stopped at. So they stopped from place to place. They were traveling. They were on a journey. And when you're on a journey, you know that you have to stop and rest sometimes. It goes on to say that they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. The name... 
means resting place. The word rephidim, it means resting place. And this is what it looks like roughly today. Um, a place where you would expect to find water, a place where you would expect to find refreshment for your uh, livestock if, if you were traveling, um, but also a place that's uh, mountainous and surrounded by, by hills, an oasis in the middle of a desert. And if you read on in Exodus 17, this is the chapter where the Amalekites come and attack the Israelites, the one where Moses is on the top of the hill and Joshua's down in the valley and Moses has to keep his hands up. And while Moses has his hands up, the, the Israelites are winning. And when his hands start to fall, then the Amalekites start to win. And so Joshua is fighting down there and Aaron and Hur are beside Moses and they hold up his hands uh, so that they actually have the victory. Why were they fighting? I think they were fighting over this. This was a place of provision. Water was precious in this country. Water was fought over in these countries. You know, it's, it's kind of an alien concept to us because all we do is we turn on a tap and out comes lovely fresh water. In this country, there are no taps, there are no toilets, there are no luxuries that we take for granted. Um, and this land was characterized by a nomadic people, a traveling people. And a traveling people needed to travel to feed their livestock, to feed themselves, to feed their families. And in order to do this, they needed to find places where there was water, water to drink and also to feed the plant life that their herds grazed on. Remember the story in Genesis where Abraham and Lot were traveling together? And their herdsmen started to fight over the grazing. And uh, what they ended up doing was parting company. And Lot was the one who went off and took all the green pasture land. And uh, Abraham said, well, I'll go wherever you don't go. And, you know, he gave him the choice. But these were things which had been fought over in this place. And I think probably still would be fought over today. And so water is precious. But Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Can you imagine being in Moses' shoes, being the leader of all of these people, and they all need water all at the same time, and they all come with their complaints, grumbling, moaning, what are you going to do about it? What would you do if you were in Moses' shoes? What would I do if I was in Moses' shoes? I would have hated to have been in Moses' shoes in this situation. But Moses was called and Moses needed to depend on God. I just wonder sometimes if after 430 years of settling in Egypt, the people had lost some of the basic skills that they might have had, their forefathers might have had, and uh, their ability to find water. And so... Perhaps there were vital skills to survive in the desert, which they would have known as a people at one point in time, which had now been lost. Vital skills that were not passed on to the next generation. And it made me think about what we pass on to the next generation as well. What are we passing on? Are there vital skills which we need to think about as Christians, which we need to pass on to the next generation? I would suggest there are lots of vital skills how to have a prayer life, a devotional life, how to listen to God, 
how to move into the, the purposes and plans that God has for you, how to understand what they are. These are the things which are vital for us. And I think, do we pass on these vital skills to the next generation? And it says that the people quarreled with Moses. I, I feel for Moses. And you probably do too, until you have to face a situation where you have a grievance with a leader, perhaps your boss, perhaps your manager, perhaps a teacher in the school or a lecturer who you have a grievance with, and you go with your complaint to your boss and you say, this isn't acceptable, this isn't good enough. And then we find out that we're in the position that the children of Israel were in, and they were complaining to Moses, and here we are, perhaps complaining to our boss about something that needs to be sorted out. And we need to think about how we do that. And we'll come on to think about that just in a little while. Of course, it never happens in church life, does it? There's never any grumbling, never any complaining. Everything's perfect and hunky-dory all the time. And the two words that are mentioned here, uh, they really mean quarrel and test. They became nicknames for this place. You know, Meribah means quarreling, contention or strife, and Massa means testing or tempting. And it's in this place where they quarreled with Moses and they tested God. Verse 3 goes on to say, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? I think we can understand their predicament, don't you? No water means no life. I think we understand that we can last for probably about three days without water. If you're in a desert and you're sweating bucket loads, it's even less. So water is vital. And I wanted to show a video, maybe the boys and girls would find this interesting. There are natural ways to find water when you're in a desert place. Did you know that? And here's, here's the first one. Watch this, this elephant taking water out of where it shouldn't be finding water. like that <laughs> it finds water it's amazing it actually pushes the sand away with its foot gets deeper and deeper and deeper until eventually it finds water and we would just pass that by and we think this place is a desert there's nothing here there's no water to drink and yet the elephant can smell it it can smell it underneath and it starts to dig and i've got another video which is about a human being this time who has experience to find water in places where you and I would probably pass over and think there's nothing there. Um, here's another wee video. National Geographic. Oh yeah. Found water. Deeper than I was hoping, but it's definitely water. Ah, yeah, lots of water. Okay. It's a little dirty right now. I can let it settle and it'll be clear in about an hour, but it tastes fine, even though it's muddy. I'll fill up the rest of my container. There we go. 
a lot of success comes from reading the landscape. And this time, it worked out. It might be slightly more challenging when you've got thousands of people who are all needing water at the same time. And, uh, you know, I kind of think, okay, uh, maybe not. Um, but maybe they'd lost basic skills about how to find water. But the cruncher for me in what we're reading here is that they wished that they were back in Egypt. They wished that they were slaves in Egypt again. And that happens so often. And I think about where you are at as a Christian, where I am at as a Christian, where we are at as a church. When we begin to move into the future plans that God has for us, and when God's plans begin to become a reality for us, and things start to change, sometimes we freeze. Sometimes things don't go as we expected them to go. This looks different from what I thought you were talking about, God. This being a Christian malarkey is quite hard, and it's quite challenging. And we want to go back to the old and the familiar, even if the old and familiar wasn't a great place for us. Sometimes we want to go back to what was familiar for us. And I think as a church, as a church, we need to keep moving forward. We need to keep moving forward into the things which God has for us, new things that God wants to do. Verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. I mentioned this last week. Almost ready to stone Moses. He's the guy who's leading them out of the, uh, the slavery in Egypt, taking them to the promised land, and here they are ready to stone him. I wonder if they had thought about what plan B was. Well, if we kill Moses, who's going to lead us? Um, which one of you guys is going to take the lead when, when Moses is away and be like kind of drawing straws or that moment where you've got to take a step forward and all the other people take a step back and you're left. <laughs> you are the designated survivor, you know. Um, they didn't have a plan B, but that's the depth of feeling which they had. And I sometimes think that, you know, when we're in that place, it can be really intense and worry and fear and panic can be intense, but also irrational at the same time. We worry about things. We think, how are we going to survive here? Where are we going to find water? This is, this is what the people were thinking. But contextualize that into your situation, the thing that you're needing just now. And we can begin to worry and we can begin to take our eyes off of God. But this is the important thing. Moses turns to God to find a solution. He doesn't dig for water as we saw in the video. He doesn't revert to human wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And anyway, it probably wouldn't have worked for the amount of people that he had to look after anyway. Verse 5 says, The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go I wonder how you would feel if all of a sudden I just exit stage left. Maybe I'll try it. No, I'm only kidding. I don't have time. If I suddenly disappeared out the door and left you all, you'd think, where's he going? <laughs> What's he doing? Is he coming back? <laughs> and I'd start to feel a wee bit uncomfortable. It's like, uh, 
That's been an awful long time. Where is he? <laughs> Imagine how the children of Israel felt. He went off and took some of the elders with him. Do you think they thought, oh no, he's away and left us. We've been moaning so much that he just went and left us. <laughs> he's done a runner. But the reality is that he hadn't left them. He'd gone on ahead in accordance with God's plan. Verse 6, and God says to him, this is what I'm going to do. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. You know, you need to have faith to do these types of things. You need to have faith to follow God because sometimes God asks us to do things that don't necessarily make sense. Listen to what it says as we carry on in verse 6. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah, which means quarreling, and Meribah, which means testing. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Do you know something? Setbacks cause us to question. Have you ever had a setback in your journey with God, your Christian life? Have you ever had a setback and you think, wait a minute, what's actually happening here? Is God still with me? Has God left me? And we should be very careful when we ask questions, particularly before we question God. And we should be very careful of saying, is God with us or not? Because the reality is that God is and he said he will be. He said he'll be with us. If God's spirit lives within us, as Christians, that's what we, we say is the hallmark of the Christian life is that the Holy Spirit lives within us. That is our, our seal, our guarantee. If the Holy Spirit lives within us, how can God have left us? And so this is an account where Moses strikes the rock and miraculously water comes from the rock. But there's a second account, and I'll not spend quite so long in this one. It's in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through to 13, and we'll read it through. This is a second account which happens many years later uh, in a different part of the desert. In fact, um, this part of the desert here, if you look at the, the picture, you'll see that it's much further north. And it says here, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, not the desert of Sin. That's the one lower down. Different place. And they stayed in Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died with our brothers, uh, when, our, when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. You know, it's interesting. This is a different generation who are speaking now. And I just kind of think it's amazing how much our kids are like us and say the things that we say. And here again they quarrel, and again the issue is water. And again they're wanting to go back to Egypt. 
And we need to remember that what Scripture teaches us in, in terms of uh, typology, that Egypt is a type of the world, the world that we live in, for example, and all the pleasures that it has to offer. And so when we, when we think about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, it's about us coming out of the world and coming out of the world systems and its ways of thinking, its ways of doing, its temptations, all the pleasures that it has to offer, and pursuing what God has promised, pursuing a promised land. And what they're saying here is that if we had to put it into our context, I wish I'd never started this journey with God. I wish I'd never become a Christian. I'd rather go back to my old life and my old way of doing things. Even though there was heartbreak, even though things were going mentally wrong and there didn't seem to be any hope or any way out, but I can't take where I'm at just now and I'd rather go back. And that's effectively what they were saying here. We want to just go back to the old way of life because at least we knew what was happening there. And it's quite sad. I think this is one of the saddest things in this account is that they wanted to go back to Egypt. Can I encourage us not to think that way? Not to think about going back to what was familiar? God calls us into a relationship with him that takes us from place to place to place. The Bible talks about us being changed from glory to glory and so on. And with that, with that change, that process of change comes temptations, challenges, opposition, so many things that would cause us to stop and give up. But I encourage each of us to continue to press into the things which God has for us. Verse 6 says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And when we are in that place where the pressure's coming on, where there are temptations, we need to turn to God because he is the one who has the solution for us. Verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. Notice that the instructions are different this time. Moses isn't instructed to strike the rock this time. is told to speak to the rock. But listen to what happens in verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen to this, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Imagine the preacher getting up and saying that to the church. Eh? Listen, you rebels, look at me. And he had a wee angry moment. It says in Psalm 106 that Moses used rash words when it refers to this occasion. And I also wonder if he maybe took credit for what God was trying to do in that situation. He says, must God bring water out of the rock? Or no, he said, must we bring water out of the rock? And I sometimes wonder if he was uh, 
trying to do things in his own strength. But either way, he was frustrated and out came words that he probably later regretted saying. As we read in verse 11, let's read on. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. He struck the rock rather than speak to the rock. Water gushed out nonetheless, and the community and their livestock drank. Verse 12 says, though, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And so there were consequences to Moses' actions. I don't know about you, have you ever laughed when somebody loses the plot like that? There's something quite sick about our humour sometimes that we laugh when people get angry. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Josh does it to me all the time. <laughs> he just laughs at me. In fact, his defence mechanism is getting me to laugh and then it makes me calm down, hopefully. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one of these things in human nature, isn't it, that we get angry and we, we lash out. And I was watching a programme on TV, uh, I think it was last week, it's called Golf's Funniest Moments. And it was just people just doing stupid things and some people just taking a wee flaky, taking a wee raj and losing their temper. And I just started laughing at these people and I could not stop laughing. And even I thought, I need to switch this off. I'll record it and watch the rest later. I went to my bed and I was in my bed and I was still laughing. <laughs> and I laughed so much I had to get up and go to the toilet. <laughs> And I was in the toilet and I was still laughing. <laughs> I could not stop laughing at this program. And I thought you might want to watch uh, one of those little funny moments, right? Oh, sorry, I can't resist it. It was so funny. Well, it was funny for me. You'll probably look at it and go, nothing funny with that. This is, this is a guy. This is the, the, the one that started it off for me. Watch this, this little clip. In seventh place, Henny Otto at the Nashua Masters back in 2005 loses his temper after a missed putt. But it's not over yet. He still has to sink that putt. just embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> I could not... It was one, one after another. Sergio Garcia trying to get the ball out of a bunker and <laughs> the ball doesn't go where he wants it to go and he starts walloping the bunker, you know? I was like, oh, this is crazy. But it's like that, you know, when the pressure's on and it just takes the smallest thing and we snap and we just go crazy, you know? Um, and I think that's what Moses experienced here. He was like, I've had enough of you guys! And he strikes the rock twice and out comes the water and, he, you know, and then he realises what he's done. But then, then it's too late. The consequences of what he's done. You know, I feel sorry for Moses having to lead this people through moaning and complaining land before they get to the promised land. And it says in verse 13 here, it says, These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarrelled with the Lord and where they showed himself and where he showed himself holy among them. You know, 
there's so many things that we can take out of this. And I was encouraged by the, the songs that Lindsay picked this morning because some of those songs reflect what I feel God can say to us through this as we're, we're almost, uh, almost finished. And the first one is that God is a God of miracles. And can I encourage you to keep pressing into God if there are things where you need miracles, even when we've seen situations where we believe for a miracle and we didn't see that. Don't stop seeking God. Don't stop praying and don't give up. Keep pressing into God. I keep pressing into God personally and as a leader in this church for the things which God has spoken. The second thing is that God is a God of provision. God knows what you need even before you ask. And maybe for some of us, we need to consider the lilies and the birds of the air. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, when he addressed the people, we read in Matthew 6, 31 to 33, and it's been a, a, one of those formative verses in my life in terms of direction. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. The Egyptians, the people in the world run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. God knows what you need before you even ask him. But verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God is a God of provision. God knows what we need. He knows what we need before we ask him. The third thing is that God is always doing new things. When God does a new thing, what do we tend to do? We set up a shrine, we form a religion, or we begin a ritual. Because we want to stay in that place where God did that incredible thing. But God is always doing new things. He is a God of the new thing. God never repeats himself. What are you expecting from God? What is the new thing that you're expecting? Are you expecting? Do you come into church expecting God to do something, to say something, to speak into your situation? You know, I don't want for Whitburn, I don't want a Welsh revival. I don't want a Hebridean revival. I want the new thing that God wants to do in our fellowship, in our town and in West Lothian. And I believe God is saying that he wants to do a new thing, something that this area has never experienced before. And we have begun moving into the future plan of God for this church. And the question is, will we freeze when it doesn't go how we expect? And will we wish that we were back in the old familiar place? Per perhaps God will save people that you are a wee bit uncomfortable about. Perhaps people will come into our church, this building, and maybe sit in your seat. But that's my seat. I always sit there. Why is he sitting in my seat? Think about it. If somebody comes into a church who's a guest, they should be able to sit wherever they like. If God saves people that maybe you don't understand, then it's our job to get to understand them. Not to go back to the old place where we knew everybody and we were comfortable and we had relationship with everybody. That's not what God's plan is for the church. That's never been God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church is to go, to advance, and to see people become saved. 
and follow him and to make disciples. That's our job as the church, is to make disciples of all nations. On the first occasion, Moses was commanded to strike the rock in the presence of the elders, which he did. And the water came out of the rock, and the glory, all the glory, went to God. On the second occasion, God asked Moses to speak to the rock in the presence of the whole assembly. Instead, he rebuked him and struck the rock twice with his staff. He disobeyed God. He lost the plot. And we know that he missed out on God's plan and God's best for him. And the last thing is that grumbling wearies leaders and it wearies the grumblers as well. And it also, in this case, wearied God. And we need to ask ourselves the question, are we the kind of people that bring joy to others? The people, when they see us coming, they go, oh, it's such and such coming. It's Fiona. Fiona's coming to attend to my torn calf. Yay! Who better? Again. <laughs> when people see us coming, do their faces light up and think, yes! I want to spend time with that person. Are we people that are filled with joy? What does the Bible say? That by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. And that can be challenging sometimes because we don't always agree. If we always agree, I think there's something wrong. If we're not disagreeing, then there's something wrong because we all see things in different ways. But we can be united as we disagree and moving forward as we disagree. And if we want to see grumbling, all we need to do is switch on our TVs and watch the soap operas. I remember switching EastEnders on on a Sunday afternoon. I'd just switched the television on years and years ago, came in, switched it on, and all I heard was... And I switched off. I was like, I'm not listening to that in my house on a Sunday afternoon. Why should I be listening to that? I can hear enough moaning other places. Real moaning. We switch on the news and what do we see? One politician shouting at another one. And you see some politicians standing up and saying, bye-bye, we're out of here. And acting like little children. And the other one's shouting at them and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is leading our country. Seriously, this is leading our country. And what does God expect from the church? The God, ex God expects the church to be different. God expects the church to be setting the example. And I'm afraid at this point in time, I don't think the church is setting an example because the church is arguing and is in disunity and disagreement as well. And I think the church in our nation has some work to do in terms of getting before God and repenting and humbling themselves and beginning to work together in unity to see his kingdom come and his will being done. I don't want to be part of a church that's that type of church. I want to be part of a church that's progressing and that has a heart to see God's kingdom come and his will being done. That's the type of church I want to be part of. I think the church should be a shining star in our world a shining star. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 through to 16 says this, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure 
children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Remember that this was written almost 2,000 years ago. It's not changed. Society hasn't changed that much. People haven't changed that much. And the church in this generation needed to be what Paul goes on to talk about. He says, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Do you shine like a star in the universe? When people see you coming, do their faces light up because you're shining like a star? Does this fellowship shine like a star in this community? Will it continue to shine like a star in this community? You see, I think God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. God has a plan and a purpose for this church, for the other churches in Whitburn, for the churches in West Lothian. And I think we should be people who endeavor to be solution people, part of the solution and not part of the problem. You see, God has made us in his image to find solutions. God is a creator God. He is creative. He is a solution-oriented God. When the people had no water, on the first occasion, God had a solution. Go and strike the rock and water will come out and the people will get something to drink. On the second occasion, it was different. God didn't do the same thing twice. He didn't repeat himself. He says, I want you to do it differently this time. And when God asks us to do something differently, are we going to be willing to do that? Because God doesn't do the same thing twice. And I think if we will simply trust God, which implies we need to be in relationship with God, and we need to be listening to God, and if we will obey the things that God tells us, then we will become the people that God wants us to be. You know, maybe... I don't know where this word is landing with with you today. I don't know if it strikes a chord, resonates with you or not. But can I encourage you uh, to keep keep on pressing into the things of God? Even when there's discouragement, even when we want to turn back, keep pressing into the things of God. And if you're not a Christian today, if you've never taken that step of faith, then I encourage you to take that step of faith. And I'm going to just pray a little prayer. and ask that you pray this prayer. We'll not pray it out loud on this occasion, but just pray it in your heart. And if you pray this prayer and and you mean it, come and speak to me at the end or speak to somebody uh, that you've come with and we can pray with you uh, personally. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe the musicians could come back up as well. Father, I thank you for Moses' faithfulness and leading the people and responding to the call that you put on his life. Father, we know that he resisted that call initially, but Father, that he was willing to take that step of obedience. And Father, we thank you that we can learn from this experience as well. Father, even Paul in his letter to the Corinthians quotes this occasion and he suggests that this spiritual rock, this rock which they came to was a spiritual rock and that spiritual rock is Christ himself. And Father, we have come uh, today and we have thought about this uh, occurrence as the people came through the desert. But Father, we remember that Jesus is our rock. He is our fortress and our foundation. Father, that Jesus is the one who has come to set us free and to give us life and life in all its fullness. 
And Father, we pray today that you'd help us to really grasp hold of these things. Father, to grasp hold of your plan and your purpose for us and to keep moving into the plans and purposes that you have for our lives. Help us to be listening, to be in relationship with you. Father, to really be knowing what you're saying and to be putting it into practice. Father, give us the strength to do these things, particularly when things don't turn out as we would expect, when we don't see the results we expect. Father, help us to just trust in you and keep moving in the things that you've asked us to do, whether it's individually or corporately as a church. And Father, we just pray these things over this area. Father, that you continue to uh, be at work in hearts and lives and in churches. Father, that you'd bring your kingdom purposes uh, to bear in our time and in our generation. And Father, we just long to see people come to know you and to come into a relationship with you. And so just as we draw this prayer to a close, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'll say it slowly. And if you uh, just repeat this prayer into yourself and your own heart, and uh, if you pray this and you mean it, then come and uh, chat with us. And uh, we just have some things we'd like to give you and we'd like to pray with you and really to see God's blessing in your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died for my sin. Father, that he died on that cross that I might have life, that my sin is forgiven. I recognize that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me and to come into my heart, that your Holy Spirit would come into my heart and that you'd wash me clean and make me new and strengthen me to live the Christian life even when things get tough even though I may be tempted to look back help me to keep moving forward into the things which you have for me in Jesus name Amen and Father we just pray we pray for this congregation and Father we ask that you would keep your hand upon it upon us and Father that you would just do this new thing uh, amongst us you've already begun to do it Father we just thank you for the things which we're seeing for the way that you're speaking Lord we know that you're interested and you have plans and purposes help us to move into those plans and purposes with all of our heart with all of our being with all of our resources in Jesus name we ask Amen. Amen.